Well, good morning, family of families. In these circumstances that we find ourselves, I am so thankful that we can worship together, even online. That the church cannot be contained by the four walls of a physical building. Amen? Now, I know you just heard that, but let's, let's do some response back. As if we're actually in the service, I, I, I want to hear the amens coming out of the camera. Uh, aren't you glad that the church cannot be contained by the four walls of a physical building. Amen? The worship team said it, so that's pretty good. Uh, yes, my name is Zach. I am the next-gen pastor here. But more importantly, I'm not the lead pastor. And I'm just thankful that I've been given this opportunity to share the word with you. Uh, when Pastor Mark asked if I'd be willing to share, I said, absolutely, yes, I'd be honored to do so. Well, I just came back from a two-week uh, uh, youth camp experience. Uh, two weeks ago, we took our middle school uh, students. Last week, we took our high school students. It's been an awesome, awesome week. When you feel like I should be drained, I'm more awakened, I'm more alive because of the big things that God's doing. But there's something else I want to tell you that I'm, I'm passionate about uh, youth camp, but I'm also passionate about something else that you should know about, and that's camping. I, I really like camping. In fact, I haven't gone as much as I should. I miss it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, now, I need to clarify something a little bit. When we talk about camping, I've learned throughout the years that our definition of camping varies between person to person. Uh, I won't mention names, but there are certain people in our youth group that when I say, hey, we're going to go camping, what they think we're going to do is go to a local park, walk around a little bit, and then go to the Holiday Inn Express in hopes that the continental breakfast is good the next day. That's not camping. Now, this one may step on some toes, so I'm going to walk through the waters very gracefully, Okay. Per my definition, Pastor Zach's definition, what else is not camping is when you're like, yeah, we'll go to a park. Let me bring my RV with me. That's not camping. That's being in the middle of the woods with a 50-inch TV. I'm sorry. I know some of you guys in there are freaking out just a little bit, but calm down. We can all have different definitions. Here's my definition of camping. It's that when you take like a tent in a hiking backpack, and you go explore God's wilderness. Now, I, I've done many, many, hundred plus days of camping out in the wilderness. Uh, I've even done some days where I didn't even bring a tent. I built an actual wilderness survival shelter. That's how nerdy of an Eagle Scout I am. But every camping trip must begin with good preparation. A great trip begins with good preparation. The right equipment can either make it or break it for you. So let's talk a little bit about this. First, uh, when you go out and buy a tent, the box will tell you, hey, this tent will hold two people. They're lying. Hands down. They are lying. Do not believe it whatsoever because... That will really hold one person and some luggage. 
Not really two people tent. So when I went on a camping trip over a decade, decade ago as an RA for Indiana Wesleyan University, that means I was a resident assistant for a dorm. I was a leader of a dorm. I helped shepherd um, incoming freshmen to live on to campus life itself. They took all of the RAs and they put them on a camping trip. Now there's eight of us on a leadership team. And I wasn't in charge of planning or preparing any of the supplies. I just simply showed up. Mistake number one. Mistake number two, I recognized that the tent they brought for eight people was a six-person tent. First, the math doesn't add up. Secondly, the box always lies, so it's going to be an awful experience. And finally, the people that were in my tent are really big, buff guys. And then there's Pencil Zach right there. I had to figure out a way how to sleep like this the entire time. And when we got to the point to fall asleep... I was miserable. I don't remember what time it was, but I just could not sleep anymore. So I unzipped the tent and I walked out. And I remember I could see the clear sky with the stars in there. You know what I'm talking about? Can you picture that in your brain? The stars in the sky, that breeze, that comforting breeze that takes place. You can hear the silence of the the silence of the wilderness. That doesn't make sense. But you could hear the wilderness around you. We were next to a shore, so you could hear the waves crashing against the, uh, the beach side. And I was like, well, I'm up. Let's start a campfire, because that's what I do. So I, was, I walked to my director's car, because all the fire-making supplies were there. The matches, the lighters, uh, anything to start a campfire, it was all in there. And I get to the car door, and the door was locked. So what does this Eagle Scout do? Well, we, we do fire by friction. We just start with nothing. So this was a challenge for me. And I was like, yes, I'm excited for this opportunity. Let's get into this. And so I pull out, a, I make a bird's nest. No, I did not grab a bird's nest from a tree, dump out the eggs. I'm not that evil. I'm just sometimes cynical. But I grabbed, the, uh, I made a bird's nest, made something that was easy to catch fire with, and I looked at our campfire from the night before, and it was a smoldering fire, but something to work with. And typically when you put an ash on a bird's nest, it will catch like that. That wasn't the case for this time. Man, it struggled. You see, in order for a fire to survive, it needs three things. It needs heat, it needs oxygen, and it needs energy. It needs wood. And every time I try to put an, a smoldering ash on there, it just smoke, fizzle, and die. And I did my figure eights. And I blew my oxygen into the bird's nest, and I tried to get this thing to resuscitate. And when it finally went, and this was a struggle, when it finally went, I then had to add some kindling to the fire. And it still struggled. Like, it didn't want any wood. It just wanted to die. But I continued to go after it. I was fighting for this thing. And as the kindling was starting to take, then I started to get the twigs and the sticks, and I started to build a fire. Then things really changed shape here. I'm not sure how long. I'm going to guess an hour plus. I've been fighting on this fire. And then finally, it caught. And it demanded more wood. I was ill-prepared for that. 
And so, like a frantic, crazy man, what did I do? I start running in the woods, and I try to find the proper... Well, you can't just put a log on there and just hope that it survives. You'll suffocate and die. You have to gradually build up. So I'm running through the woods to get the right pieces of wood. I've got the larger sticks. I'm starting to go with the limbs. I'm starting to build my log cabin. I'm sweating up a storm to fight this fire that I don't even know what time it is in the morning, but I am so desperate and so hungry to see this fire go. And then finally... Finally, after I grabbed the driftwood from the lake shore and I put it on there and I was able to watch this fire sustain itself. Man, that was a joyful moment. But that story does not end there. Because that joyful moment quickly turned to a sorrow moment. See, what I'm going to share with you is something that I've I can count on my hands very few times I have heard and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit speak directly to me. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit poured onto my heart was a compliment and then a conviction. The compliment was, you worked hard for this campfire, but this campfire is stronger than your smoldering spiritual fire. See, during that time in my college years, I was studying to be a a student ministry pastor that I am now, but I really kind of started going through the motions. I kind of went to auto drive. I served at youth group. I went to church. I did all these things, but my relationship with God was just that, a mask I put on when the appropriate time took place. And I felt this weep inside of me that said, my fire has to be rebuilt. I need to rebuild my fire with you, Lord. And I experienced a godly weep, a confession of conviction that I have strayed away from God. Tonight's, or today's message, we're focusing on our spiritual fire. And one of the passages, as I reflect upon my personal story, comes to Jeremiah 29. We're going to start at verse 11. Here's what I want you to do. I know that we're online. I know I can't see you. But I want you to actually take a moment, get a Bible, open it up, go to Jeremiah 29. If you have it on your cell phone, it's great, fantastic, that's awesome. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. But if you've got the physical word or if you've got something, access to the word, I want you to read along with me because Jeremiah 29 11 is a letter, and this portion of the chapter is a letter from the prophet Jeremiah who's writing to the captives of Babylon. These are people who were captured by Babylon. They're, they're there. They're not doing so good. There's some misery taking place. There are frustrations taking place. And he's trying to restore some hope. And a little bit of spoiler note is that these people are going to be captive for 70 years. And the prophet Jeremiah is t- telling them to hold fast. Now, when we read Jeremiah 29, 11, you're going to recognize Maybe a popular verse that you would see in a Hobby Lobby store or maybe on a kitchen wall or something like that. Because it's really, it's cute. But I'm not going to lie. I think it's misunderstood, misrepresented. Because we always kind of forget about the second part and the whole reason why the prophet Jeremiah is even writing this letter to to the exiles. So are you there with me? Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Follow along with me. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come pray to me and I will listen to you. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let's, let's bite-size this a little bit. In verse 11, when we, we see that popular phrase, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and do not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, that sounds really good. But I wonder what the audience felt like when they received this message where he says, hey, the Lord has plans to prosper you, not harm you. And you're like, are you kidding me? We're in exile right now. Are you kidding me? We're in captive right now. And you're telling me that the good Lord has plans to not harm us and to prosper us? This seems like a joke. Is that too real? Because if I was on the other end of the shoe, I'm like, you just don't get it, Jeremiah. That's where we've accidentally misunderstood this verse. Because it's the second part that we're going to spend a majority of our time with. Because with that hope comes a declaration. There is a cause and then there is effect. That with this hope, there is a declaration that is given. So let's read on verse 12. It says, Then you will call upon me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you. When was the last time we've done that? No, no, no. I'm not talking about when you show up to Sunday morning service and we say, hey, bow your heads with me and pray. I'm not talking about those types of prayer. I'm not talking about the mandatory dinner time prayer where you come to the dinner table and you say your prayer and then you continue to eat or whatever. Or I'm not talking about the bedtime prayers where it's like, hey, Lord, uh, lay my, my head down to sleep. I pray the Lord and my soul to keep. No, I'm not talking about those prayers. I'm actually genuinely talking about the prayers where we step forward and we say, Lord, I am here. I'm going to guess this is a stab in the dark, but not many. Because our relationship with Jesus is not just simply a one-time thing a week. Our relationship with Jesus is an every day thing. It should hold command to what we do in our lives. Let's continue on. It says, you will seek me, and I, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Gosh, I got to be curious. When Jeremiah gives that declaration to the captives, and he's telling them to seek after God with all their heart, how do you think they responded? I wonder what their spiritual fire was looking like at that point. Were they on fire for Jesus and saying, Lord, you are amazing, or were they starting to lose hope? How many of us have been in that boat? I've just lost hope. If I'm speaking to you today, lean in a little bit more, because I hope this morning the Holy Spirit speaks directly to your heart. Now, I need to give you a little bit of a fun fact as we dive 
and build upon the Jeremiah 29 saga. My fun fact is this, is that I am, keyword sickly, I'm sickly obsessed over a TV show called Survivor. Uh, Survivor is a reality show. It's a game show where they maroon 18 to 20 people on an island, and they spend 39 days, and every other day they're eliminating somebody from the, the group, and then it comes down to day 39, there's one person remaining, and they get title of sole survivor and the million-dollar check. I am so obsessed over this TV show that I have applied to be on Survivor 22 times now. What is wrong with me? But most importantly, pray for my wife because she has to deal with this. But there's something that really catches my attention with the TV show. Jeff Probst, the host of the, the TV show, says this every single season. Fire represents your life. My words now. I think that holds true to our spiritual fire as well. That fire represents our life. It's amazing how many times I have conversations with students, with young adults, that talk about how they used to have a huge bonfire uh, glowing for the Lord, and then they begin to kind of walk away from the spiritual campfire, and then they say, I feel like my relationship with God is pretty cold. Well, no kidding. When the prophet Jeremiah says, seek after him with all of your heart, I will be found by you. Have we stopped seeking after him? Have we stopped adding to the campfire? Have we walked away and said, well, it's good. I don't need to add anymore. So for us to have this conversation today, we need to do a deep dive on how to actually build a spiritual fire. So follow along with me. Not only are you going to learn some life application, but we'll learn some spiritual application. To, to build a campfire, you have to start with a base. You have to start with something that's easily going to catch. A bird's nest or, or, or something like this. Easily, when you put an ember in here, it's going to catch. I'm curious to know, when Limwood sent 50 people the Cedar Canyon camp these last three weeks. That's including counselors, pastors, leaders, students, children. When we sent those 50 people, I'm curious to know how many of them got a spark the first time that they have actually genuinely had a relationship with Jesus and that ember is there. But you and I both know this. This will not sustain a campfire. This is going to burn up pretty quickly. This on its own will not cook a steak over a campfire. That steak is going to be pretty gross by the time it actually does something. It will not hold. So in order to move from the bird's nest, we have to move to the kindling. And the kindling is just these small little twigs, these small little sticks that you can find on the ground. I'm not talking about the sticks and the branches and the limbs. I'm talking about the small enough things so that when you place it on your campfire, it can actually begin to gain some substance. This is being involved in the body of Christ. 
This is involvement in getting into the Word, understanding just a little bit what it means to dive into His Word. Because if we're looking at Jeremiah 29, and He says, when you come upon me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you, you seek me. When I'm seeking after you, I'm adding small little twigs to my campfire because I want to seek after you with all of my heart. Am I, am I following? Are you guys following along? Are we catching fire here? Are you getting this? Because here's the convicting part. Either this has affirmation or conviction. Sometimes we're just content in being right here. That I showed up to Sunday. I read my Bible once. I did a service project. You and I both know this. This will not hold a campfire. We have to build more. And so how do you build more? You start beginning to get the sticks and the twigs and actually go a little bit bigger. This is when you start actually building a formation to our campfire. Now, there's many arts, if I'm going to get into the nerdy Boy Scout realm, but I will choose to refrain from that for just a hot moment. There are many things that you can do to build a campfire. You can do a log cabin. You can do a teepee. I do the mixture. I do log cabin teepee because I don't want conflict, plus also it's awesome. So you start building your spiritual fire you start actually making formation and shape and once it starts going it's gonna demand some more and so you're gonna actually start needing going out and getting the bigger stuff you need to get the limbs now i'm not talking about the logs just yet if you put the log on there you're gonna smash it you're gonna suffocate it but we need to start putting in some ownership in here it's like the great commission was not just for pastors and lay leaders it was like the great commission was designed for everybody when we start taking ownership of our faith, and we stop asking the question, what, does the, what can the church do for me? But rather, I ask the question, how can I serve the church? How can I be the body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians talks about, and utilize your gifts in order to edify the body? We start asking those questions. We stop asking the questions, what are th some things I prefer? And rather, we start asking the question, what does it take to get people to the kingdom? Because, because from there, we start getting into the big ones, the spiritual logs. Your fire is pretty sustainable. And when you've got your fire sustaining, you can start building formation and shape. Here's the crazy thing about our campfire, though. We cannot simply just put logs on our spiritual fire and walk away because warning eventually your spiritual fire will diminish if you're not constantly adding wood to the fire you will find your campfire to be smoldering we see evidence of that time and time again not only in the scriptures but we see evidence of that time and time again in our own personal lives and yet we kind of do this, comp this complaint of like, I feel like God has abandoned me. It's like, no, you just forgot to feed your spiritual fire. Wake up, oh sleeper. So this is my, my question to you, my online congregation. If you are genuinely going to assess your spiritual campfire, where is it at? 
Now, I know some of you probably uh, haven't seen the online chats. You're probably saying right now, hey, I don't make a spiritual fire with any of this stuff. I do gasoline. Well, first, cool. But secondly, and I thought about that too. I believe in our spiritual walk that we have mountaintop experiences. And I think some of our students experienced that this past week. God is amazing. I'm pouring some gasoline over our campfire. Oh, we went to this conference and God moved in powerful ways. I went to this church service and my favorite song was played and it was awesome. But what happens when you put spiritual gasoline on a campfire? Man, that thing ignites and it's beautiful and it's bright and it's big for like five seconds. And then what does it do? If it doesn't catch anything, it quickly dies. Everything must have a foundation. Everything must have a base. And our base is God's word. Where is your spiritual campfire? I, the, the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, his name is Wayne Schmidt, he talks about this idea of lending faith. And I, I recognize that when we lack faith, we have an opportunity as people with huge bonfires. When we lack faith, he said these words, that if you lack faith, you can borrow some of mine. My bonfire people, it is our opportunity and responsibility to share the fire with other people who just need to start. But those who just need to start, if you lack any faith, you can borrow some of ours. Because our core value is centering our lives on God's word. Another core value of ours is leaving a legacy of faith that you belong to the body of Christ. So this morning, if you're the bonfire person, if you are affirmed by this conversation that says, yes, I've lived the Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, that I continuously get after God, I have evidence of that every single day of my life, I've been submitting myself to the Lord, then may this be an affirmation, but also a drive to the Great Commission to go and share your fire with others. If you're the individual that's sitting here with this, with a bird's nest, you've got some twigs in there, you've been a Christian for some time, but it, it's more just, an, just a, a, an act, a spiritual act that we do, a, a, a tradition we do every single Sunday morning. And you're just like, I'm not really catching much here. I'm not really cooking much here. Uh, my challenge to you is to look at Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14 and sow that into your heart. And if you are the individual that are sitting here today with a smoldering fire, rather you've accepted Christ for the very first time, or you have, it's been a while, and it feels like it's been pretty cold in my relationship with Jesus, you just need to put a new ember in there. First and foremost, welcome to our family of families. You're in the best place in the world, and that is called the church. The church should be a place where we comfort the last, the lost, the least, and to lead them into the way of the everlasting. I remember when I first became a Christian, my youth pastor gave me uh, the scriptures, and he said, you should read this. And as any 
young kid, I was like, sure. And I opened it up to the first book, which is Genesis, and I read it all the way through the end, and then I grew furious. Like, I'm serious, very upset, because my youth pastor keeps talking about Jesus, and he was never mentioned in Genesis. Do you remember how basic that was? Do you remember when you were learning, my Christ-following people? We've got several people who are just at a bird's nest, and they need your help to add some twigs to that fire. In a moment, I'm going to call the worship team up on stage. But as they make their way on stage, this is an opportunity for you, my online people, to reflect over your spiritual fire. Can you actually visualize your spiritual campfire? Have you been seeking after God? Is it a bonfire? Or has it been reduced to smoldering ashes? Wherever it's at, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, As we look over our campfire, we recognize your truth, but we also recognize your grace. Lord, give us the opportunities to speak well of your voice, to hear your voice, and to give us conviction over where we need to continue to build our campfire. Jesus, I may not understand everything, but we submit ourselves to you. Give us opportunities. To worship you, give us opportunities to find your grace and your truth, and give us opportunities to find your peace. Renew in our hearts, O oh Lord, the new spark, that new fire that we need. If we need to find that spiritual wood in our lives, those spiritual locks, help us find it as we seek after you. Because when we are wandering through the woods, Lord, we have to recognize that you are always with us. So thank you for moments like this. Continue to be with us as we continue to worship you. It's in your name we all said amen.